I'm, I'm so honored to have with us today Pastor Chris Estrada. Uh, some of you may know his ministry, and others of you, you might be introduced to his ministry for the very first time today, but you're in for an incredible treat. Uh, Pastor Chris was born on the border of the United States and Mexico. At an early age, he fell into the trap of alcoholism and drugs. But as he became a teenager, he was in, invited to a youth camp in 1999. And he attended a Christian youth camp. And at that youth camp, he was saved, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and called into ministry all on the same night. Come on, isn't that awesome? He is a dynamic communicator, an absolutely brilliant preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is truly a voice to the generations. Previously, he served as the director of Youth for the Nations. He's been a pastor. Currently, he's serving as the executive director of a nonprofit called Missions Me. If you'd like more information on how Missions Me is impacting the world, you can go to that website, missions.me. And there's a mandate on Pastor Chris's life, and I love the way that he's worded this, but it's to release courage and power into risk takers and dreamers. Come on, that speaks my language right there. To release courage and power into risk takers and dreamers. So I'm so excited to introduce to you our guest speaker, Pastor Chris Estrada. There's a short video, and then at both of our campuses, I'm gonna invite you once the video concludes to give honor where honor is due. After the video, let's stand to our feet and welcome my friend, Pastor Chris Estrada. Check out this video. Hey, good morning, church. Thank you so much. What a true honor it is to be in a house that's hungry. Come on, how many sense the presence of God from beginning to end? There's no shortage of what God can do both here and in Maryland. I honor you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And uh, I just want to give recognition to your pastors. I, I feel like who knew that we would be saved in the same year, during the same time frame, had the same experience. We both got saved at a church camp, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, called to the ministry all in one night. And uh, he just met for the first time. But can I tell you, I just felt a link in the Spirit and felt like an alignment had happened with Pastor JC. And come on, Pastor Kimberly, do you love your leaders? Come on, do you love your leaders? You guys are phenomenal. Can I, can I just say this? you got a great team. Pastor David has been, uh, we've been hanging out uh, the last, <laughs> I got in pretty jet lagged and he was great, great, gracious to me uh, last night. And then of course you've got a phenomenal leader in Pastor Ben. Come on, do you love Pastor Ben? He's a, that's not a big applause. I, maybe you need to do better, Ben. No pressure. 
No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's a huge honor to be here. Uh, but I love it. The worship's solid. The leadership is solid. The vision is powerful. Can I just say, I, I get to go to church all over the world. I can, I'm in different conferences and settings all the time. And uh, let me just say this to you. You guys are spoiled up in this church right here. Can I just tell you whether it's South Metro, Go Church, same church, right? You guys are, if you ever complain about this church, you might as well punch yourself in the throat, all right? Because that's the spirit of stupid. This is a good house. This is good people. There's good leadership. This is good soil. How many of you grateful you came to church and not just any church, but this church this morning? Who's grateful? Yeah, I know you are. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, like Pastor JC said, I, I, I was born and raised on the border. Uh, and it wasn't long till I found myself with a drug addiction, an alcohol problem, and a lust issue. But at one night in camp, I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and called into ministry. And uh, from then on, I felt like I was an arrow launched out of God's bow. Went to Bible college at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas. Uh, then went on to do the internet sales for every luxury car company except Lamborghini. And so my wife and I, by the age of 21 and 22, had made financial goals that most people retire at. That, that's a good place to say amen. I'm just going to tell you right now, okay? But it don't matter how wealthy you are. Uh, if you're not in the will of God, you will be miserable. I promise you. And I remember the Lord said, sell everything you have, give away the rest, and move to Sri Lanka. How many know where Sri Lanka's at? All three of you. That's great. So Sri Lanka is 40 miles south of India. It was in the middle of a civil war. But even though there was heavy persecution and danger around every corner, God was still raising up his church. And we were seeing daily salvations, signs, wonders, healings, miracles. It was powerful. Came back, took over student ministry. We had the same thing, sweeping revival come through. We had young people walking into classrooms who would give prophetic words or would release healing. I'm talking about when the teacher is falling out. Who's Muslim under the power of God? How many know God just stepped into the classroom? Then we, I got a call from Christ for the Nation and said, hey, can you come and raise up that kind of leader uh, there? And so I, ra- I spent the last decade of my life at Christ for the Nations and just recently came on the leadership team, uh, the executive team for Missions Me, which we do the historic, these historic One Nation, One Day campaigns, which is why I was jet-lagged. I flew in from Lima uh, like a day and a half ago. I was literally on the Amazon River going up and down. And so uh, I remember uh, coming into the vision, we dream to unify the global church that we would cause transforma- the salvation and transformation of nations. I believe Isaiah 66, 8 is speaking to us today when he asked the question, can a nation be saved in one day? Come on, God's arm is never short. His supply is never dry. And God still can reach down from heaven and touch the heart of a nation. Come on, how many believe that for our nation right here in the United States? Tons of stories to share there, but we have gone from Honduras to the Dominican to uh, Nicaragua. Now we're in Peru, and it's amazing. This coming June, we're doing everything. We're bringing the largest missions team in history. We're bringing 5,000 people with us to Peru. That's from 33 plus or 33 nations and 150 plus churches from all over the world. And we've raised up a team of 5,000 in Peru to have the largest missions team ever in the history of the church. That's 10,000 people pounding the ground, believing for sustained transformation in a nation. This is the day where we're going to see nations saved in one day. 
We're working with everything from sports clinics, medical clinics. We've been, that's one of the reasons why we were in uh, on the Amazon River. We've taken a few boats and turned them into medical triage centers, and we're going to go up and down the river. We're go we are going to do 15 simultaneous stadium events at the same time. Most people do one. We're doing 15 in the largest cities, in the deepest regions, from the jungles to the highlands to the plazas to the bigger cities. We're going all over the nation. We have, we're doing political forums, education forums, firefighter forums. We're doing uh, um, meals. I, I think we're up to about 7 million meals, a quarter of a million uh, pairs of shoes. We're going to give 200,000 blankets away. We're going to give uh, uh, all kinds. I'm telling you, it's a full on. It takes us two years to prepare for this. But God is in the, we are living in the days where we're going to see national transformation. Come on, how many of you believe that? And we get to train this up, and that's my role. I am the executive director of Missions Me and Missions Me College, where we just raise and release people out all over the world. But I feel a stirring in my heart. I, I, I just told my wife this morning, I've been married for 15 years. We have four beautiful kids. Come on, that's Hispanic right there. I'm just telling you right now, that's brown tendency right there. I'm brown, brown and proud, all right? We, we start churches, not families. That's what we do, okay? And so I, I, I was telling my, I feel such a stirring this morning. I'm just so honored to be here. I feel a prophetic edge on the message, though. I was praying in my room, and I just could not get away from it, couldn't shake away from it. I feel like God is really, literally thundering this down uh, into the heart of every person attached to this house. And so I want to speak with that in mind. Is that okay? Can I go that route? Is that good? Now, let me tell you how I do church. I don't do quiet church. I, I, I'm Hispanic, and we don't do anything halfway. We are passionate through and through. I, I, I believe the Word of God deserves a response. Are you with me? How many know that we should give the Word of God home field advantage? I love playing on my home court because on my home court I had the most crowd support. Well, I feel like the Word should have the most crowd support up in the church. Are you with me? Listen, if you talk back to me, if you preach back to me, it might get better. I'm not making any promises, but it might get better. But I need you to talk back. Don't go quiet on me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. yes. Say, come on, somebody. Come on. Say, come on, somebody. I don't know. Spell it. I don't know. I don't know. Are you ready for the word? Yes. No, no, church, are you ready for the word? Yes. I believe you. I believe you. All right, turn on your Bible. Yeah, I know what generation we're living in. All right, turn it on. If you open it, turn on, does not matter. I've got both up here. But the truth is, the Bible says that the Word of God, not what it's written on, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So whether it's on a screen or a sheet of paper, it still has anointing. Are you with me? First, uh, first, Sam, first Samuel chapter 15, please. First Samuel 15. For the sake of time, if you open your Bible, go to Hebrews 11. But First Samuel chapter 15. Now, I'm going to give you some background so you kind of understand where we're coming from because I'm going to parachute in the middle of a situation. I, I love this story. I love, I love this passage here because it speaks to a, a subject that I was, I was praying with uh, one day. I said, Lord, what are you asking most from this generation as someone who trains up the next wave of influencers in the church, have thousands of graduates all over the world? Have, we had 68 campuses at Christ for the Nations. I mean, we have a graduate in every nation. At Missions Me, we, have, we are literally seeing national transformation in our day like never before. The model for missions and, and crusades is being rewritten. How many know we believe that in this season, it's not what's next, it's what's new? Can I tell that to the church? It's not what's next. It's what God is doing new. God never said, I'm doing a next thing. He said, I'm doing a new thing. Are you with me? And I believe that I, in this question, I felt like a conversation started so much that it led into a book. But I said, Lord, what are you asking most from this generation? And he said, you know what I need them to do? I don't need them to pray more, although that's great. I don't need them to fast more, although that's great. You know what he said? I need them to finish. 
What I have found, and trust me, as someone who is training teenagers and 20-somethings, and I mean, my oldest graduate was 78, all right? As someone who is training leaders, one of the biggest tendencies for a leader to not do or a Christian to not do is not start, it's finish. And the truth is the world is impressed by what you start, but it's transformed by what you finish. And what we need is a generation of finishers that God could look down from heaven and say, I can give them this strategy because they won't just start it, they will finish it. Well, God was looking at Saul's heart right here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He comes to Saul, and Saul's in this season where he is, he is doing everything right. Everything as a king, as a leader, as a politician, he is doing everything right. The first thing he does is strengthen the military. When he does that, he secures the borders of Israel. Because he secures the borders of Israel, there's no raiders coming in to steal from the agriculture. Because the agriculture is strong, the economy booms. When the economy booms, everybody's in prosperity, and so everybody loves King Saul. Are you still with me? And so King Saul is in this, he's in his stride, he's in his prime. And God comes to him with a, a, a mission or a directive that would seem beneath him. And so he doesn't treat it with as much attention and detail uh, and discipline as he should. And God says, God says, I need you to take care of this. I found that although you may rise and you may be promoted and you may lead and the stages may get bigger and the crowds may be uh, longer, can I tell you something? The truth is God will always send a test mission on you because he is temperature checking your humility. Are you with me? And so he comes to Saul and this is what he says, 1 Samuel chapter 15. He says, Samuel said to Saul, this is the prophet Samuel, he says, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they ambushed them as they came up out from Egypt. Look up at me for a second. This is a cool fact. I love my Bible. You have to understand, I love my Bible. I don't flirt with my Bible. I don't have one night stands with my Bible. I don't date my Bible. I am covenanted to my Bible. I believe everything in my Bible from table of contents to maps. All right. I love my Bible. Are you with me? I love this because he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay back to the Amalekites, the enemies of Israel, for what they did when Israel came out of Egypt. Do you realize that was 400 years before? Just like God, listen, just like God forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west, he will also remember the day the enemy was dumb enough to ever touch you, your family, your marriage, your job, your health. He will have his day of vengeance. Are you with me? He says, I'm going to punish them because they, they ambushed as Israel as they came out of Egypt. Look at verse 3. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Don't spare anything. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. This is a bad day to be a donkey, all right? You, you'd like want to be a orangutan or something, right? but not a donkey. Look at verse 7. Jump down to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. Say that with me. From Havilah to Shur. Now, this is interesting because from the city of Havilah to the desert of Shur, it is 694 miles. He chases them almost 700 miles. Are you following me? From Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. Verse 8. Then he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Let's pray for a moment, church. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ right now. 
Father, I speak to this atmosphere, and I say that it's full of faith, it is full of hope, it is full of peace, it is full of joy. I come against every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every lie, and I tear it down right now in Jesus' name. And I call every man and every woman into their season, into their rhythm, into their destiny, into their identity right now. Lord, we would be a generation that has not forgotten the faithfulness of God in the middle of the storm. We were born for the storm. We were born for the struggle. We were born for the giants, God, and that you would activate something on the inside of us this morning that would lose something fresh in this region unlike anything ever seen. We are not okay with corruption in our day. We are not okay with poverty in our day. We are not okay with immorality in our day. Lord, we want a historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have never seen where no one is safe and everyone gets touched by the presence of Almighty God all over the planet in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. As you can see from the graphic, we're calling this message, Finish the Job. I think it's time we finish the job. You know, I'm going to tell you a story, but let me preface it with this. This is B.C. and B.E., okay? This happened in my life, B.C. and B.E., before Christ and before Erica, my wife, okay? You know, I, I, uh, I had a friend in high school that we had decided to go to prom with. And uh, I had decided to go to prom with. And, uh, and, and so, you know, when you're in high school, you, you just kind of scrape together as much money as possible because you just broke. That's just the realities of life when you're a teenager. And everything requires so much. I never knew that so much would be spent on one night until I got married. And then it just was a whole other level of demonic spending. And so I remember going into this prom season, uh, I, I remember that I, I figured out there's two ways. There's a difference between uh, men and women and how they get ready. This is when I first discovered this. Now... I have a wife and two daughters, and I'm well-trained. So I remember, like, for uh, ladies, like, for you, you live in this vicious cycle called getting ready. Like, I, I understand now, knowing having a wife and two daughters, that when you go shopping, it's not that you have to find a dress. And it takes about three months of prayer, fasting, and intense intercession just to find the one dress. And then if you don't have the shoes, you got to find the right shoes. And then if you don't have the right purse, you got to buy the right purse. And then if you don't have the right eyeshadow, you got to buy the right eyeshadow. And then if you don't have the right earrings, the jewelry, the, this is a vicious cycle. You live in cold getting ready. Like, men are a lot different. We just put on whatever doesn't smell bad, isn't wrinkled. Good to go. Good to come on, man. Help me out. Uh, good to go. Right? That doesn't make us nasty, ladies. That makes us efficient. Okay? So, you know, I had told Leslie, I said, hey, Leslie, I'm going to pick you up at 7.30. The dance starts at 7. I'll pick you up at 7.30. We're going to be fashionably late. She said, okay. Now, I don't know how it works out here in Georgia, but in Texas where I'm from, you don't go straight to the dance. For me, because I came out the hood, you go to a couple parties first before you go to the dance. Like I said, BCBE. So I go to these parties, Pastor JC, and I get so drunk and high. 7 comes around, 7.30, 8, 8.30, 9, 9.30. I'm a hot mess, and I remember, Leslie. That's what I remember. So I call Leslie, drunk out of my mind. I call her and say, hey, hey, girl, hey, listen, hey. Um, I know we missed the dance, but there's still a couple parties. We turn up, you know what I'm saying? It'll be all right. And you want to go? And she says, no thanks, bye. Boom, hangs up the phone on me. I totally stood up my prom date. Now, what's funny, look, every time I share this story, Pastor, every time I have people laugh, oh, the dress, oh, the shoes, oh, the first. And it's, when I say I stand up, they all went like this. All the ladies especially, you just, you just judging me right now? I thought she was a man of God. That's what I thought. I thought I didn't, don't look at me like, you know what you look like? That's what you look like to me right now. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that, all right? 
I, I, listen, I may have stood up my prom date, but are you going to keep standing God up with the assignment he's put on your life? I may have been drunk out of my mind, but are you still drunk with insecurities and disqualifications and that the lack of you don't have this, that, or the next thing is why you're not going to complete the things that God... Listen, can heaven consider you reliable? If you want to know, promotion comes only from one place, not from skill, not from gifting, not from your set mix, not from anything. It comes from one place, from heaven above. When God looks at your faithfulness in children's church, then he'll give you the children of a nation. God looks at your faithfulness worshiping in the front, then he might put you on the platform. God looks at your faithfulness in your job, and if you can pick up trash that is not your responsibility, he'll let you lead a company that is your responsibility. I'm telling you, promotion only comes to those that finish. He's not going to hand the destiny of a generation and the destiny of a nation to people who don't know how to finish. The truth is, can heaven look down in its war room and in all of its strategies, and as God is planning the new things he wants to release on the earth, is your name at the top of the list? Can I trust her or him? Listen, the truth is, you may, have, you may be a soul and you may be a spirit and you are all those things, but the truth is you're a strategy with legs. You are a dream of God with passion, that with blood running through your veins, with all kinds of breath in your lungs, and your job is to release the goodness of God everywhere you go. Again, I may not have followed through with Leslie, but are you going to finish the assignment God has put on your life? It's time to finish the job. And if we're going to do that, I'm going to give you three things. Number one, number one, partial obedience is still disobedience. I I'm preaching to me this morning. Anyone else? Partial obedience is still disobedience. I remember, you know, I, I'm Hispanic, and so anything we do to celebrate, anything we do to spend time, it's over food. Come on, anybody else? This is a good habit. And, and so after church, that's what we do. We go eat. And I, 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 one of my favorite Mexican restaurants was right down the road, and I went with a friend. And, of course, if you have kids, parents, you'll understand this. You know, I, we take all of our kids. He has his family. I have my family. We go to sit down at this table. We're sitting down. They bring us the chips and salsa because that's how you know a good Mexican restaurant. Forget the food. If the salsa's good, it's going to be good Mexican food, right? And so uh, we sit down, have some chips and salsa. Then they give us our drink order, and we order. then we put in our food order. We're waiting for the hot food. And then the hot food comes out, and the hot food hits the table. It's always, come on, parents, it's always at this time when your kids literally look down at you and go, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. You couldn't have told me all before then. Right? Anybody else just want to tell, hey, go in the seat. I'm hungry. Right? And so they, you know, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. This happened. Hey, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, fine. I'm going to score some points. Babe, don't worry about it. I got this. Right? So I take my kids. We go to the restroom. They finish their business. We're walking back, and I'm passing the women's restroom. Kids, you know, this is a true story. I'm passing the women's restroom, and I, in the restroom, I hear, no, please stop. It hurts. So I stop. I send my kids over, and I do what any man of God does in this situation. I put my ear to the door to see what was going on because I'm nosy. <laughs> Come on, Marilyn. Right? And so, so I, I, put my, I put my ear to the door like this, and, and I hear, no, please stop. It hurts. Stop. Because I'm thinking one or two things. Number one, either I don't want what they ordered. <laughs> yeah. Two, someone's getting tore up in this restroom. Then I hear, no, please. And then their mouth becomes, and then I hear slaps across the face like this. No, please stop. No, please. And I can hear it's a kid. And someone is beating a kid so hard that the next move, they threw this kid against the wall, and the picture standing next to me fell off the nail and broke on the floor. 
So I noticed that there's a couple of waiters and, and cooks looking at me as I'm looking at the door, and we just make eye contact, and we're having a conversation. I'm like, listen, we're going to go through this door. We're going to kill whoever's behind this door. All right, we're going to save a little kid today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to eat and save kids. That's what we're going to do. And I need you. I need you to back me up. And, 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 of course, you know what they did? They went right back to working, completely ignored what was going on. So now I'm mad. I'm like, that's it. Now I'm slapping all of y'all. When I get done here, it's you now, right? Then I notice a guy over here, and he's got his fork halfway to his mouth like this. And I look at him, and I'm, I'm looking at him like, hey, you go high, I go low. We're going to take this dude out. Whatever's in here, we're going to take it out. And, and he goes right back to eating. I'm thinking, I'm slashing your tires as soon as I, in the name of Jesus, right, make it spiritual. And, and, and like, I, I, I'm telling you, now I'm very justice driven. If it's not right, I'm going to say something. If it's wrong, I'm going to say something. Are you with me? And so I remember I'm sitting there and, and nobody's going to do anything. And then I keep hearing, please, please stop. Please, please stop. It hurts. So I snap. I hit the door. Bam, 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 three times. And I said, hey, what's going on in here? Now, before you think, oh, he's so courageous, he's such a strong man, before you think, have you ever let your body go and it's doing something that your mind is like, you're like having a conversation, but you're in the middle of it? I'm telling you, this is how it went. I'm hitting the door. So I, I hit the door so hard, I bruised my hand the rest of the week. I hit the door, bam, bam, in the middle of all that bam. Let me tell you what was going on. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Oh, you bad now. You bad now. Oh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Have you ever had your mind disagree with what you're doing? This is exactly what's happened to me. So I'm, I hit this door, and bam, bam, hey, open this door. And on the other side, I hear, uh-oh. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I got your uh-oh right here. I got uh-oh, you know, because I'm from El Paso. We stab people first and ask questions later. That's where I'm from, okay? I don't know what's on the other side of this door, all right? So, so I hear, uh-oh, and they come over, and they un, uh, unhinge the door and open the door. Y'all, the largest woman I have ever seen in my life opens this door. It looked like Medea answered the door is what it looked like. I mean, it's 20 feet tall. I'm, a, I'm the little short Mexican. I remember, I, I was like, she, and she goes, what do y'all want? And I'm like, hey, what's going on in here? That's how it felt. Like, I'm a little nacho. She could just dip me and eat me. That's what she could do. She said, none of your business. And I said, well, then bruises on your kid make it my business. She said, he was crying when he got in here. I said, he wasn't bleeding when he got in here. I said, ma'am, if you lay another finger on that kid, it's going to be you and me in front of this restaurant. You got me? Like, and then I said this, Pastor JC, I don't know why I said this. This is what I said next. I still, to this day, I don't know why. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Come on. Sometimes it works. I don't know why. And then I followed it with this. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. And I know what it's like to want to kill your kids. Don't look at me like, don't you judge me. You know, exactly. you know why lions eat their young sometimes, all right? So I, 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 she, and I said, ma'am, what you're doing is you are beating on this kid with no self-control. This is not discipline. This is child abuse. And if you don't stop, I will pull you off of him and throw you out of this restaurant. If you need any help, please come talk to me. I'm at this table over here. She immediately sobers out of her anger. Oh, my, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I, I lost. I'm so sorry. I said, no problem. I go back to the table, and I'm mad. Now, when I get mad, I get real quiet. Anybody else? Come on, raise your hand. Who, where are the quiet? You better pay attention who just raised their hand. Because they know three places to bury your body in Georgia right now. It's the quiet ones. I'm telling you, it's the quiet ones. So I get real quiet. My friend's like, hey, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. What's the matter? I'm like, fine. 
And I told him what happened. He gets all impassioned. He gets all excited. He's like, no, oh, heck no, she would, no. And then what happens? She comes out the restaurant. Where does she sit? Right behind us, in the table right behind us. So we, she finishes her meal, and, and I tell her waitress, I say, come here, I want to pay for their meal. Can I, can I bless them? I want to pay for their meal. So I pay for their meal, and she comes over behind me. I don't see her, but I feel like, you know what I mean? And I look up, and I'm like, hi, <laughs> hi, you're tall, hi. And, uh, and she said, uh, <laughs> she, she pushed her son forward, she said, what you going to say? And this kid goes, thank you, thank you, thank you for my ticket scripts. What he was really saying was, thank you, thank you for saving my life. That's what he was really saying. That's what he was really saying. I, I, I can't imagine how many people would have noticed something going on and would have just passed by, yet I witnessed it in this restaurant. I got a group of people watching the same situation. I got a man noticing what I'm noticing, but still nobody does something. And that's exactly what's happening in this generation. You notice what's wrong, and if you prayed about it as much as you tweeted about it, I guarantee you things would change. But the problem is, is that words are not action. Action is action, and the truth is partial obedience is still disobedience, no matter how much you pray about it, no matter how much you talk about it, no matter how how much you study it. You can look up word Hebrew. Hebrew means all you want, but until you do something, then you're finishing. Partial obedience is still disobedience. King Saul is told to destroy everybody, everything, leave nothing behind, but he leaves one guy alive and the best of the, uh, of the livestock. Why would he leave this one guy? This is the king. What is he doing? He's conforming to the culture of his day. You have to understand that in this day, Kings, when they captured each other, what they would do is they would, if they captured them alive, they would take them back to their palace and chain them to a pillar. And then the pillar, watch this, the pillar represented that they were a living trophy. So that when other ambassadors and kings came, they would look at them as if somebody conquered them and they were a living trophy. Are you following me? King Saul's not thinking about the reputation of God or God's heart. He's thinking about how many more trophies can I add to my palace so that people are impressed with me. This is what happens when we stop finishing, is we get conformed to the culture and the expectations of this day instead of keeping our ear bent towards heaven and following where he's sending us to go and directing us. Partial obedience is still disobedience. You know, I speak to a lot of leaders. I speak to a lot of people. And when people aren't finishing and I have to challenge them on it, you know what I always hear is, well, Pastor Chris, how come uh, you're not focusing on the little I did, uh, or you're only focusing on the little I did do? Or maybe it's, Pastor Chris, you're only, how come you can't focus on the more, the more that I did do? Because the truth is, God looks at Agag and says, you're disobedient. It's one guy. One guy. He kills all the, he chases them for se almost 700 miles and leaves one guy. And two verses later, in verse 13, God says, he's disobedient. Look, look, look King Saul's like hand sanitizer, okay? He kills 99.9% of who he's supposed to kill. Are you following me? And God looks at that as disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Are you following me? Here's the second thing about finish the job. Number two is we need the spirit of a finisher. We need the spirit of a finisher. You know, I, I, whenever I get, when I start struggling with finishing, whenever I start worrying about is this going to happen, is this going to get done, you know, if I get to a moment like when we were building our church or, 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 or when we put out a book deadline or when we have to meet with the president and, and we have to talk about strat strategies that will minister to a nation, when, when we were in Honduras uh, and we were wondering how are we going to get uh, 2,000 oh, 2, plus missionaries to Honduras. And the, the government came and said there's no way you can bring that many people over a three-day period. I mean, in Peru, we have bought every commercial seat on every airline for three days in June. 
All right? So, the, so when we say, hey, we're bringing 2,000 people, it was like, how are we going to get this finished? In Honduras, the nation comes to us, the leaders come to us, Barboso, President Barboso comes to us and says, we don't have an airport big enough. In fact, 747s don't land in our country. And we're like, those, that's the type of plane we need to transport all of these missionaries. We said, what would make that happen? They said, well, if you built a bigger airport, which means a bigger runway, we would, we would be able to land 747s in our country. Well, we didn't have budget for that. We didn't have vision for that. We didn't have anything, but the need is there. So we're like, okay, well, let's build Honduras a bigger airport. So we built Honduras a bigger runway and a bigger airport, and the first 747s to ever land in the nation of Honduras were filled with missionaries and God's ambassadors that were going to transform the nation. All of that happens because of this one word called faith. And I love this because every time I, I look at, at faith and every time I, I, I always find myself in Hebrews 11, especially in these verses, I think many of us do. In verse 32, he goes on, or before verse 32, he goes on and talks about Abraham and he talks about Moses and he talks about Jephthah and he talks about Joseph. And, and this is what he says. He gets to it and he says this in verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. Come on, how many of you have some outstanding promises? You need to gain what was promised. I love this. Who shut the mouths of lions. <laughs> like, I, I, anybody done that today? Let's be honest. Come on, let's be honest. No, right? Who shut the mouths of lions? They, they used faith to quench the fear of the flames, escape the edge of the sword. By faith, their weaknesses were turned to strength. Come on, how many need some strength today? How many need some strength in your marriage, some strength in your business, some strength in your family, some strength with your kids, right? Who, by weaknesses, were turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised their life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Watch this, verse 38. And the world was not worthy of them. What manner of life do you have to live for Holy Scripture to say this world is not worthy of you? Someone who knows how to finish. Absolutely someone who knows how to finish. You know, I, I, think, I think the question is, do you have an unfinished assignment? You know, the Bible says in Malachi, it says the fruit will not fall off the vine before it's time. But it doesn't mean that you neglect the fruit. You know, I, 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 I like Proverbs chapter 6. I call it my, uh, my ninja verses. Uh, because it, verse 10 makes you feel very good. And then verse 11 comes out of like nowhere, like a ninja out of nowhere. Verse 10, you feel very soothing. It's like, it, it's like chamomile tea. It just puts you right to rest. You know what I'm saying? But at verse 11 comes out of nowhere. Verse 10 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then verse 11, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcely like an armed bandit. It's like out of, no, out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? I think what happens... We are in the struggle. We are in the storm. We are in mid-motion. Plans are coming. Unforeseen is happening. The unexpected is all of a sudden taking the fight of us, and now we start settling. We just want some comfort. We just want some relief. We just want a break. We just want to see the end. Is the finish line close? How much longer are we there? Yeah. I mean, that is the type of mentality that we start to take in our heart. The truth is, though, the spirit of finish is the exact opposite. We finish when we finish. We're done when we're done. And we're done when he says we're done. Not when my flesh says I'm done. I'm done when God says I'm done. And I, I think what happens is a lot of times we don't, we're too addicted to feeling ready. No, let me help you out. We're so addicted to feeling ready. 
Pastor Chris, I, I want to be ready. I want to have all the money first. I want to have it on the schedule. All the OCD people know we got to get different color post-it notes and highlighters and mark it all out and put it on a calendar and all these lists and all, because I'm that way. I mean, like, uh, uh, and God says, nope, you're ready. The truth is the Bible's not full of people that had a plan. <laughs> have you read this thing? Hey, Moses, go hit the rock and water going to come out the rock. Right? Hey, uh, Abraham, I, I know you're old, but you're going to have some babies. Right? Are you following me? Noah, go build a boat where there's no water. David, go fight a giant with no armor. Are, are you following me? Let, let's be, again, uh, Abraham was too old, Gideon was too scared, and Mary was still single. Pow! You understand what I'm telling you? We are not in this place to be feel ready. And if we're not careful, we're going to be addicted to feeling ready instead of addicted to following the cloud and following his voice and staying in the will of God. And the truth is, let it not be said about South Metro, about Go Church and George and Bellerin, that they just waited around till the right opportunity. No, they were grinding. They were in the hustle. They were working by faith. They were drawing lines in the sand. They were pounding the ground. And they were doing everything possible so that God could have a finished region. It's time to finish the job. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. If we're going to finish, we must live like he lived. We must live like Jesus lived. I like what it says here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, who, he who says he abides in him. This is not in the scriptures, by the way, guys. If you freaking out, don't please. He says, he who abides in him ought himself to live like Jesus lived. This clearly makes Jesus our measuring stick. What he's saying is, if you call yourself a Christian, how you're supposed to live is not like Pastor Chris not like pastor so-and-so, not like author so-and-so, not like speakers. You are supposed to model Jesus. Jesus is the measuring stick. Are you with me? If you ever want to know how well you're doing in your spiritual life, in your Christianity, measure yourself against Jesus. Are you with me? Right? But then he goes on and he says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. He says, as he is, so are we in this world. There's a lot in this verse right here. But this last part, as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, how Jesus is right now, you and I are the exact same. So let me help you out. Is Jesus victorious right now? Then so are you. No, no, you need to hear it. Is Jesus powerful right now? Then so are you. Is Jesus a finisher right now? Then so are you. I think one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in all of the Bible is probably the prayer in the garden, which we're getting ready, if you, you're getting ready to walk into that moment here being Easter. In Luke 22... Verse 42, it says that Jesus, his sweat is mixing with his blood and he is beginning to sweat blood. The intensity of the world's sin is coming on his life and he feels it. Are you following me? And then he makes this statement. He says, Father, if this cup can pass, it would be great. But not my will be done, your will be done. Are you following me? Now, I think a lot of people look at that as like Jesus is saying this is too much. This is too heavy. I can't handle that. That is not what he is saying. Take, take it, believe it or not, I am Professor Estrada. So take it from what I'm saying here, okay? I, I, what he is really saying is, do you have to understand, Jesus is in a Jewish culture. He's in a Jewish setting. And if you've ever been to the Passover meal, you'll know you drink from four cups. The way we get that is from where Jesus is at. The third cup, which is the cup he's referencing, is called the cup of suffering. That cup is full when you take the Passover meal. What he's really saying is not if this cup can pass. What he's saying is I'm in the garden. I've not been betrayed yet. I've not been on trial yet. He's saying I haven't. This is not full. This is an unfinished. Watch this. What he's saying is the cup of suffering is not full yet. That's what he's saying. It's not this cup can pass. He says this cup's not full. 
Because, Father, I haven't been betrayed yet. I haven't suffered yet. I haven't been lied about yet. I haven't had two mistrials yet. I haven't been falsely accused yet. I haven't been beaten. I haven't had a crowd of thorns and a shroud of sickness. I haven't had any of that put on me. And if I die here because my blood is mixing with my sweat and I feel like I'm about to die, if I die in this garden, then it's an unfinished assignment. Are you following me? The problem started in a garden, but it was going to finish on a tree called life. And the one who would die is literally called life. And what he's th saying to the Lord is like, I can't do this because I, it would be an unfinished assignment. And I didn't come all this way to just barely finish. Just like you didn't go all through what you went through in your marriage and with your kids and at your job and in your battles so that you could just have half of it or partiality or some of it or section of it or piece of it. No, God wants you to have all of it. It's time to live like he lived. That's why it says, watch this, that's why it says, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is faithful to complete the things that he starts. And on the cross, that's why Jesus could say, it is We truly serve a God who knows how to finish. Would you stand up with me? I really sense there might be some people in this room you say, Pastor Chris, I want that in my life. I'm tired of going halfway. I'm tired of always making the excuses. I don't know how to finish. The truth is, though, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you haven't even started. I love, I love you enough and respect you enough to tell you the only way you get to beat an addiction, the only way you get to beat all your enemies, the only way you get rid of all the pain and all the torment and the stain of sin off your life is not finishing it's starting in the right place too. By surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's people in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, and you say, Pastor Chris, you're speaking right to me. I feel the presence of God on this Sunday morning right here in Georgia. I feel like he has highlighted my heart and I need to interrupt my patterns, my destruction, my shame, my sin, my pain with the goodness of God. I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Give me a, a high raise just in case anyone. This is the most important thing. I, I never do a service without doing this. If there's anyone in this room, just making sure. Anyone, 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 anyone. Quick scan of the room. No. Then I want to pray for people who are in the middle of the storm. Literally, I know we're in the middle of one. But your marriage might be in a storm. Your job, your workplace, your children... Your health, it might be in the middle of a storm. Friend, he who is faithful will complete the things that he starts. Healing is coming. Restoration is coming. I prophesy it to you. The release of the goodness of God is coming. Provision is coming. Blessing is coming. Promotion is coming. But you must set your heart to finish. If you say, Pastor Chris, I have a habit of starting things but not finishing. And I want to break that. It was on my family. It was in my grandparents. It was in my, it's in my generation. I want to break it. And I want to bring the generational blessing all the way through to a thousand generations. But I'm tired of starting things or dreaming about it or talking about it or even complaining about it. I want to see something finished. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Chris, pray for me. I, I got some things I need to finish. Holy Spirit was highlighting. He was bringing things up. Wow, look at all these hands. My goodness. Take that hand. Put it on your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus. I release the grace to finish. The spirit of a finisher to come on your people. 
Lord, I break every excuse. I break the fear of failure. I break the fear of rejection. I break the fear of humiliation. Lord, that they would not fear those things over what you have said, that they would honor you to the highest degree. Lord, I call them into completion. I call them into breakthrough. I call them into miracles. Lord, in Maryland, I say there's someone, you're not getting a divorce. You're going to finish the healing of your marriage. I say someone in Georgia, your healing's not done yet, but it will finish itself. I promise you, God has not changed his mind about you. He's not in love with the future version of you. He's in love with you right now. Father, I release the goodness of God on every man, on every woman, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.